I appreciate that. We have been journeying through John 6. Um, and, sorry, we've been journeying through John. And this morning we will continue in that um, with John 6 and in the, the verses are 25 through 59. So, give me just a second here and then we will pray before we get started. i got to be honest, I'm an extrovert, so I really like being around people. But I get a ton of energy when I get around people. Um, and so I get all hopped up. So you can probably hear my voice quiver a little bit because I get all this energy and then I start talking and half the time I don't even know what I've said. Um, yeah, so I'll calm down here in a second. Um, when I ask you to pray with me, uh, the good thing is I'm happy. I'm excited that I'm doing this. So that's good, just for the reference. Um, I'm glad to be doing this. I'm glad Jim asked me. Next week is Jordan Irwin, um, so I'm excited to hear him. Um, but right now he and Jim are out of town, and, uh, and I get to be here this morning. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Uh, the biggest takeaway this morning for you, for me, uh, as I process this, as it comes out of my mouth, um, is for us to meet God uh, and to hear from God. And so... Uh, I don't expect to impress you. Um, I'm not that impressive, and that's okay. Um, But if God meets us here, then it could be good for us. Um, So, when we pray, I would ask that you ask God uh, to teach you something this morning. I heard that our relationship with God is like an onion. It's not like an orange that you peel and eat. It's like an onion that you peel and then you peel another layer, and then you peel another layer, and you peel another layer. Um, And so if God would peel back a layer of the onion for us this morning, that would be good uh, for our souls. So would you pray with me? Father, this morning we ask you to speak to us. Um, Rock Hill is a scattered community, God, as Caleb said, so we're kind of all over the place this morning, and that's okay. We pray for the people that are training, God, that you would encourage their souls where they are, and that what they're doing would be good, and that it would be good for the people that they're training, that that would help make them whole, and that you would produce fruit out of those relationships Uh, That would be for the healing of the nations. God, we pray for the people that are on campus, that are walking the hill, that their joy would be sweet, and that they would be genuinely, they would be free to appreciate the accomplishment that they've been able to achieve. And God, that in that freedom they would turn and praise you and thank you uh, for the gift that you've given them. And for this morning, God, we pray that your word would pierce our hearts in some way. That whatever that next step looks like for us, that you would make clear. Um, And that we would have the courage and we would exercise the faith to obey. Jesus, we ask these things in your name because you are the bread of life. And all authority on heaven and earth has been given to you. And we can trust 
uh, that you'll meet us as we look for you. Amen. So we are on uh, John six twenty five through fifty nine. If you have this uh, Bible with you, it is page ten sixty nine. If you want to follow, it's not on the screen this morning, so I'm going to read it. If you want to follow in here, it's on page ten sixty nine. If you have your own Bible, you can find it there. I'm not sure what page yours is on. If you brought your own Bible. It's titled, Jesus, the Bread of Life. It's a huge chunk of scripture in terms of standing up your teaching, so we're not going to cover all of it. Obviously, there's a few points we're going to pull out, um, and we're just going to touch on those. So, um, if we go on to the next slide, I just want to set the stage for you. So, here's the way we're going to walk through this. Uh, we're going to talk about then what, now what, and so what. Then what, in this chunk of scripture, this story, what happened to them. We're talking about now what, what does it mean for us or to us, and then so what, what can we do with it? Three things to point out, uh, the crowd, the Jesus, the Messiah, and the lesson. Um, the crowd, the Jesus, the Messiah, and the lesson. So to set the stage a little bit, a little bit earlier in John, um, Jesus has been healing, and the crowd sees the healings and the signs, and so they are... Is this okay? So they are following him, um, and they follow him because of the signs and the healings that he's been doing, and he then feeds them. This is the miracle uh, with the five loaves of barley and the two fish, and he feeds them, feeding of the 5,000, the counted men at the time, it's probably more like 10 or 12 at least, right? Um, and then that night, the disciples get in a boat, they cross the lake, and they go to Capernaum, Uh, Jesus crosses the lake too, but he walks on it instead of getting in the boat. And the next day, uh, the crowd wakes up, and they start looking for Jesus, and they can't find him. So they cross the lake looking for him, and they find him in a synagogue in Capernaum. And that's where this takes place. So, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Did not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. This sounds familiar because a few little while back, Jesus has a conversation with the lady at a well, and he's having a conversation with her about water, and he says, um, I can give you water, and you'll never thirst again. And she says, Sir, always give us this kind of water. Um, so they, they say to him, always give us this bread, and he declares, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So, we're going to go to the then what slide. Then what? The crowd. So the crowd follows Jesus looking for food. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, when did you get here? Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The crowd comes to Jesus looking for food. The Jesus, the Messiah, he tells them what to want. He redirects their ambition, their desires. And he tells them to want eternal food. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And the lesson. Jesus is the eternal food. Because they ask him, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So, we're done. Um, now what? Where's the next slide? Is the now what? The crowd. So, I think a question for us to ask when we see this story is, um, how do we relate to the crowd? Uh, 
what wants or needs do we bring to Jesus? It would be tempting um, to say, this is a story about not wanting temporal needs met. But that would be conflicting with Jesus. Uh, because we see him all throughout the scriptures in the New Testament, healing people and providing for their needs. So the lesson here can't be, don't bring temporal wants and needs to Jesus. Uh, because people do that, and he grants them at times. So, back to the question. How are we the crowd? What wants and needs do you feel? Um, I have my own, uh, and I'm sure that you have yours, wants and needs in life. Places that you feel there is lack. Places where it seems there is injustice, and justice needs to be done. Things that you want to be different than they are. I tend to focus on something that's not going the way I think that it should go and give my energy to that. So I'm constantly circling and recircling what's something that's not going as well as it could be going. So this question I can relate to very well. Uh, the Jesus. What is Jesus doing with the questions that we're bringing to him? How is he directing our desires? Have we gotten that far in our life? Um, when I bring my questions to Jesus, am I aware of Jesus' intention for me and for my questions? Do I have the kind of relationship with Jesus that I am listening or trying to discern what does God want with this thing that I'm bringing before him and putting before his feet? Um, one thing that we know is that Jesus still has a desire for us to want eternal food um, because he continues to draw us to himself. He continues to do that all throughout the New Testament. Um, and in the lesson, Jesus is still our eternal food. So I think one of the things that I feel like you can't read this story and not come to is the disappointment that the crowd probably felt. Um, and can you relate to that? Because the reality for us is that if we follow Jesus long enough, we're going to be disappointed. Right? It's going to happen. It's going to be something that we thought was going to go one way and it didn't go that way. The story of uh, a guy named John who stands, many of you are familiar with, he stands on the banks and he declares, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, he says this is his purpose. He is the one uh, from the wilderness who cries out and make straight the ways of the Lord. Um, his purpose is to decrease so that Christ might increase. He's found meaning. Can you relate to that? He's found vision for his life in this ministry. Um, and he declares Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A little while later, he gets put in jail because he rebuked somebody in authority and they put him in jail. And he takes his, uh, his followers and he says, go to Jesus and find out, uh, are you the one that we are looking for or should we wait for another? So what happened? Uh, what happened between, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, 
are you the one that we're looking for, or should we wait for another? I think it's possible what happened was he didn't expect to be in a prison waiting to be beheaded. He didn't think it was going to go that way. And Jesus says, go back and tell John. Uh, There's a number of things that Jesus has been doing. Good news is proclaimed to the poor, the sick are healed. And he says, blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. The reality is that we follow Jesus long enough, his lordship comes to the surface. And we don't always get what we want. He doesn't always meet our temporal needs. And we have to deal with our disappointment. Uh, That's part of our life. And I think that's part of what happened with the crowd. I can't imagine that they weren't disappointed. They came looking for food. They were hungry. It's a big deal. This miracle is uh, in several of the Gospels. And food was a necessity. It is a necessity, right? Um, And they walked away. uh, Well, they came to him. They crossed the lake to get to him. He'd fed them the day before. And so I would imagine that they are disappointed. Can you relate to their disappointment? Um, We live in a culture right now that we're so focused on staying alive as long as we can, staying as healthy as we can, um, and having as much as we can, and trying to avoid any sense of discomfort. Because, uh, you know, if we face discomfort, something's wrong, something's broken. It shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be uncomfortable. And that's the narrative that floats around us. We can tell because of all of the resources and all of the access to, um, to all the options and opportunities to make our life less complicated, easier, smoother, get more done faster, more effective, more efficient. Um, and I think at times that creeps into our souls and we think anytime we bump into discomfort, uh, or anytime we bump into frustration or disappointment, it shouldn't be this way. And if you're like me sometimes, I struggle with being a perfectionist. And so I think if I had done this perfectly, then it wouldn't have been this way. I could have avoided this. Um, if I had just handled this relationship better, then I could have controlled the outcome. If I had uh, you know, done a number of things, with work, with family, with home, um, maybe with church, different dynamics, then I could have avoided it. And my word for us is that that's just not reality. That's not the world we live in. We're going to be disappointed. We're going to be frustrated. Things happen. We kind of always control it. It just is the way it is, isn't it? It's part of life. Um, it's easy for my dad to tell me that. Uh, But it's something else when I bump into it and I experience it and it feels like it's from the fruit of my own hands that I'm experiencing this frustration and this disappointment. And sometimes it's over things that I even go to Jesus about. Um, The lesson from Jesus is he is still our eternal food. So Jesus is the bread of life. And he tells them, Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This isn't the first time that we've experienced these types of uh, 
this type of truth from Jesus or from the scriptures for that matter. So the question for me as I wrestled with this a little bit preparing was, uh, how does that like get practical? Um, how do I absorb that? How does that actually affect me? Outside of me just declaring that and then moving on about my life, still kind of trying to control my situations and get the best outcome out of everything coming and going um, and dealing with the emotions from that kind of life, uh, the anxiety, the stress, the worry. There's a couple other places where Jesus addresses uh, the thirsty and the hungry narrative there. He says in John 7, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Then in John 4 he says, But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And Jesus says here, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. In Jeremiah 17, we start to see a vision here. He says that they, talking about the folks that drink from this water, that eat Jesus, consume him, will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Psalm 1, 1 through 6, some of you are familiar with it. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or set foot in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he didn't meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither and who prospers in all he does. And then in Galatians 5, So I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Jesus tells us that he is the bread of life. He tells us uh, in another place that he's come that we may have life and have it abundantly. And the challenge for us is to figure out how do we like consume him like he's telling them to do. And I think the answer is by faith. But even that sometimes is a little bit difficult because other than just acknowledging, well, Jesus is the bread of life, how do we, how do we get there? And it's tricky, isn't it? Because what we're talking about is how do we actually become people 
that look like Jesus? How do we drink Jesus in a way and eat Jesus in a way, as the text says, um, that we no longer thirst and that we no longer hunger? And we know that it can't be from fixing our external circumstances. Um, Sometimes we think if we are disciple makers, that's enough, and life will like find its way. Like we will experience the fruits of the spirit, so to speak, the good life by being a good enough disciple maker in the church, by being a good enough missionary. Uh, maybe it's we think our mission in life, that's the way we say it, the good life, our mission uh, is to become the best employee we can become. Maybe we think it's to be the best husband we can become. Maybe we think it's to be the best wife we can become, the best son, the best daughter, the best father, the best mother. And so we pick up those things and we walk that path trying to become the best at that that we can become. And somehow along the way, Jesus becomes this resource to help us get there, but he stops being the focus. And then I find myself exhausted, burnout, frustrated, disappointed, and I'm not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control of God. Um, because I've, I've kind of supplemented Jesus for this, this thing I can become. And it seems holy. We try to baptize it. But the truth is with Jesus that he is the bread of life. So gaining him helps shape us internally. And then it begins to shape the way that we do things. And that is the fruit of the Spirit. Um, that's where the fruit produces itself, and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control and gentleness. Those are the fruits of our actions. That's what we look like to the world around us. And the truth is that sometimes... We work for places that being the best employee in the room is just not great for our life with Jesus. What it would take to become the best employee at that organization is not really what we need to be focused on. That being our ideal of the best kid for this parent, the best son, the best daughter, is really not the way Jesus would lead us. Because it turns into people pleasing maybe. Um, and to please them, we would have to step away from Jesus. And that's a whole conversation about becoming mature adults. But I do think that it's worth stopping and asking, am I trying to bring Jesus along with me to help me satisfy this other ambition over there? Or... Is my life in Christ enough in and of itself that I can trust Him uh, with the outcome, uh, regardless of whether that makes me 
what the world tells me is the best in any of these areas. Because Jesus is ultimately our sustenance. He's the only way that we get through these things. Because I know that by becoming the best salesman at work, there's going to be another month and another year, and there's going to be more numbers, and it's never ending. And my parents, as much as I love them, are never going to be satisfied. They're going to be asking for more and more and more, right? And I'm going to be asking for more and more and more from my wife. So none of those things can be the it. They can't be abundant life. Jesus has to be abundant life in and of himself. And when I go to him with these things, I am reminded that all of these things find their place in him. But they can't find their place outside of him. Because if that happens, they become idols. And now I'm in the middle of idolatry. And I have to experience a crash, a, a wrecking of myself in, those, in the pursuit of those things in order to come back to Jesus being Lord again and those things realigning underneath him. So, the last side is the so what. We did the then what, we did the now what, here's the so what. So, the lesson that Jesus is our daily bread, he is the abundant life, it's found in him, it's found in his promises to us. And that in him, by learning from him, keeping him as Lord, asking him, repenting, as he redirects us like he does the crowd, and being teachable, by listening to the Spirit of God, we produce fruit, that's good for the world, and that honors God. His lesson is for the crowd, it's also for us. And again, the lesson is Jesus. So, I already went a few minutes longer than, than I planned on. Um, but this was good for me to work through this in preparation uh, because I realized there was some things that seemed really close to honoring God, but I was beginning to find my hope in the outcome of the circumstances instead of my hope in the Savior who controls the circumstances, um, regardless of what those circumstances become. So I think Ben and and the uh, Ben and the gang are going to come up. Uh, <laughs> If they become YouTube sensations off that name, I expect some credit. Um, but I guess that would be, if we had anything to take away during the next couple songs that Ben's leading, it would be a question of, are there places that we are relying and uh, we're relying on getting a life out of our circumstances changing? that we're not sure we could live without if those circumstances didn't change. And bringing those things back before Jesus and confessing 
that if those things never change, Jesus will be enough. And his teaching provides us with enough understanding that we can find peace in the midst of this life, even when we feel lack 